Currently, we're looking at seven events that took place around water wells or springs in the book of Genesis. I believe that the Lord can use these experiences recorded in God's scripture to really shape our hearts, our lives for the glory of God. As I mentioned before, today we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 26. We're going to dive in at verse 12, and then after I read uh, that portion of the scripture, then I'll come back and I'll introduce, give you a little bit more of a context of exactly what's going on. But for now, let's hear God's word, Genesis chapter 26, starting with verse 12. Hear now the word of God. Now Isaac sold in that land and reaped in that same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. And the man became rich and continued to grow richer until he became very wealthy, for he had possessions of flocks and herds and a great household, so that the Philistines envied him. Now all that the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father, the Philistines stopped up by filling them with earth. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are too powerful for us. And Isaac departed from there and camped in the valley of Gerard and settled there. Then Isaac dug again the wells of which his father had dug in the days of his father Abraham, for the Philistines had stopped them up after his death of Abraham, and gave them, and he gave them the same names which his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well flowing of flowing water, the herdsmen of Gerard quarreled with the herdsmen of Isaac, saying, The water is ours. And so he named the well Essek because they contended with him. Then they dug another well and they quarreled over it too and he named it Shahad. And he moved away from there and dug another well and they did not quarrel over it. So he named it Rehob for he said, at last the Lord has made room for us and we will be fruitful in the land. From there he went up to Beersheba, the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord, and he pitched his tent there, and there Isaac's servants dug a well. Then Abimelech came to him from Jehard and his advisor Asahat and Philco, his commander of, of his army. And Isaac said to them, Why do you come to me since you hate me and sent me away from you? And they said, We see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, Let there now be an oath between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you so that you will not do no harm and just as we have not touched you and have not done anything but good and, has, but, and have sent you away in peace. Now, and you are now blessed of the Lord. And he made a covenant. He made a feast and they ate and they drank. And the next morning they arose early and exchanged oaths. And then Isaac sent them away and depart, they departed from him in peace. Now, it came about on that same day that Isaac's servants came in and behold... And told him about the well which they had dug and says, We have found water. And so he called it Shabbat, 
Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. That finishes the reading of God's holy and inspired word. Again, when we come to chapter 26 of Genesis, by this time, Abraham, excuse me, Isaac and Rebekah, they're married. Abraham had passed away at the age of 175 years old. That's a pretty good run, if you ask me. And Isaac and Rebekah, well, they have two uh, twin boys, Jacob and Esau. Now, remember that Isaac was the promised son of the covenant. He was a legitimate descendant of Abraham, and his descendants would eventually lead to Christ. Now, when we come to chapter 26, the portion I did not read to you, it begins by telling us that there was a famine in the land. And the Lord appeared to Isaac and said to him, Do not go down to Egypt. Stay in the land which I tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and to your descendants I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath which I swore to your father Abraham. I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, and will give your descendants all these lands, and by your descendants all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed me, and kept my, kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So we see there's a famine in the land. And the Lord appears to Isaac and basically tells him three things. One, do not go down to Egypt. Now that was a, a common thing when there was a famine to go to a place that was fertile. And so a lot of times we see that people would go down to Egypt. But the Lord says, no, do not go down to Egypt. Secondly, sojourn in this land. Sojourn in the promised land. Stay right here. And then thirdly, the same covenantal blessings that, the, that I gave to your father Abraham, well now they rest upon you. You are going to enjoy the same covenantal promises of God. So, instead of going down to Egypt to escape the famine, the scripture tells us that Isaac went to the city of Jehar. Now, Jehar is located in the southern part of the promised land, and this is where Abimelech, the king, well he ruled over that entire region. Now, if you remember Abimelech was introduced to us in chapter 20 of Genesis. This is when Abraham and Sarah came into the city of Jahar and they made camp there. But remember that Abraham lied to the king telling him that Sarah was his sister. And after the king found out that was a lie, instead of throwing Abraham out of his territory, he told Abraham and Sarah that they could stay in the, in the land as long as they desired. If you remember in that tremendous sermon that was preached a few weeks ago, that uh, Abraham, Abraham settled in the area called uh, Beersheba. And Beersheba is where Isaac was born. We see this is where uh, uh, they settled, Abraham and Isaac uh, and Sarah. And we see that the king, Abimelech, made an oath of peace with Abraham at, at Beersheba uh, that would bless them as well as their descendants. But now, when we come to Genesis chapter 26, Abraham's dead. Now, Isaac is married with twin boys, 
Now a famine covers the whole land, and once again Isaac finds himself in Abimelech's territory. And guess what Isaac does? He lies to King Abimelech, telling him that Rebekah is his sister. Now, he found out about it. The king found out about it, and he was upset once again to discover that he had been lied to. But there again, he allows Isaac to stay in the territory. Now, let me just pause the story here for a second and make a personal application. And listen, we're all responsible for our actions and our own dispositions. But there are some character traits that we inherit from our parents. I love when my boys mirror my good traits. I hate when my boys mirror my bad traits. There's such a thing that's called generational consequences for sin. And those are the ones, those generational consequences of sins, those are the ones that affect especially our children. We see that this generational consequence for sin right here in our text with Abraham and Isaac. For some reason, Isaac lies to the king about his wife in the same way that his father did decades prior. The same way Abraham did even before Isaac was born. And here it is now, Isaac doing the same thing. As parents, we need to be careful about how we're, what we're modeling to our kids. But we, our kids also need our help to navigate around those characteristics and behaviors that have haunted us so often in our lives. And instead of scolding them when we see them modeling our bad behaviors, I think what we should do is step in and tell them, listen, I've struggled with that same thing for years, and let me just tell you how the Lord has worked in my life so that you can avoid the pitfalls that I've fallen into. So back to the story. Isaac settles in Jahar, and notice it tells us in verse 12 that he planted seeds in the land. Now, we have to remember, we're in the midst of a famine here. And Isaac is planting seeds in the land. This gives us a, a, an idea that we have to understand that it's always important to, to sow, even during times of famine. During times of famine in our lives, we, it's, we're tempted to become discouraged and complacent. But the, we must remember the Bible says that he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Amen? And he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. It goes on to tell us, and he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the, the harvest of your righteousness. Brothers and sisters, we have to sow even during times of famine. Now notice it starts, now Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him, and the man became rich, and he continued to grow richer until he became very wealthy. For he had possessions of flocks and herds and a great household, so that the Philistines envied him. <laughs> a hundredfold. Now, for a farm boy, that is really, really substantial. 
In highly fertile territories, you might get 20, maybe 50-fold. But to get 100-fold, it's just crazy. And what we see here is that this is a direct reflection upon what God's promise to Abraham. Remember the second thing? Stay in the land. Stay in the land. And, Abraham, and, and, and Isaac did. And we see that God's covenant promises were fulfilled in his life. Remember the Lord says, sojourn in this land and I will be with you and bless you. And that's exactly what is happening. The Lord is being faithful to his promise to Isaac because the Lord is faithful to his promises. Amen? Amen. And remember, Isaac's prosperity, it occurred during this time of famine when people needed food. And they were willing to pay top dollar for it. And because of that, he became very, very wealthy. But over a period of time, the people became jealous of Isaac's success. And out of envy, they filled up the water wells that Abraham's servants have dug, had dug years before. They filled it up with dirt. Now, you might think it's strange that these Philistines filled up these wells with dirt. But I'm just going to tell you, people do strange things, especially when they're jealous. David faced the problem of jealousy with Saul. Abel faced it with Cain. Hagar faced it with Sarah. And Joseph, well, he faced it with his brothers. The point is, is when a person starts throwing dirt, it's usually because they're jealous. And we see that fearing that things were going to get out of control, King Abimelech, the king over that territory, says to Isaac, go away from us for you are too powerful for us. So Isaac departed from there and he camped in the valley of Jair and he settled there. Now you might be thinking, well, what's the big deal from the city of Jair to the valley of Jair? There, there must not be much, much, many miles in between. Well, one answer might be that Abimelech, he felt kind of guilty about kicking Isaac out, remembering the covenant that he made with Abraham. But another reason is that valleys are, are prone to heavy flooding. And these floods would ruin Isaac's crops. When Barbara and I were able to visit Peru, I was amazed to see how the Inca Indians built these terraces on the side of the mountain. And they built these terraces on the side of the mountain. That's where they would grow their crops and that's where they would store their crops. Because the valleys always were flooded. As a matter of fact, in the original language, this, the, the, this word is turrent in the sense that this area was prone for flooding. So Abimelech was content to let Isaac settle just a few miles away in the valley in the view that these floods would come and ruin him. So Isaac got settled in the valley, and you know what Isaac did? He dug a well. Now, we're going to have a little fun here this morning. You guys want to have a little fun? I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to ask this question several times within the sermon, and I'm going to give you the answer. So I'm going to ask the question, and then you're going to give the answer. And the question is, you know what Isaac did? And the answer is, he dug a well. All right, so here. And you know what Isaac did? He dug a well. He dug a well. He commanded his servants to dig out all the abandoned wells that his father had, had dug years before him. But when 
Isaac's servants found water, the herdsmen of Jahar quarreled with the herdsmen of Isaac, saying, The water is ours. And so he named the well Essek because they contended with him. The, the, the word, word is actually strife. And strife is deeper than an argument. Strife is broader than a disagreement. Strife is a worldly mindset, a carnality that is at the core of causing strife. The Apostle Paul told the Corinthians, For since there is jealousy and strife among you, this proves that you are not spiritual and that you are acting like the people of this world. And that's exactly the way these Philistines were acting. The book of Proverbs tells us that keeping away from strife, well, it will bring honor. So you see that they, they, found, they dug the well, they, they found water, they had the, and they, now this strife is coming from these herdsmen. And you know what Isaac did? <laughs> the text says, and then they dug another well. And they quarreled over it too. And he named it Shinad. Now, this word is heavier than strife. It's slander. It's bearing false witness. It's a word that's in direct opposition to the ninth commandment where it tells us that we should not bear false witness with our neighbor. But this is exactly what the people are doing. They are slandering Isaac. So you know what Isaac did? <laughs> he moved away from there and dug another well. And they did not quarrel over it. And so he named it uh, Rehoboth and said, At last the Lord has made room for us and we will be fruitful in the, in the land. This, this term, Rehoboth, it means broad places. It's important to catch the glimpse of Isaac's heart. You know, he, he left the city, he went to the valley, he was, people were causing strife against him, he, he moved a little bit more, then now they're slandering him, and eventually he gets to this place of broad places. And look what he says, at last the Lord has made room for us, and we will be fruitful in the land. You see that Isaac recognizes the hand of God upon him and all the experiences that's led up to this one. At last, the Lord. At last, the Lord. The Lord's hand has been on us through all these moves. He recognizes that the Lord is the one who's been guiding him and graciously through all these trials of jealousy and strife and slander. And now the Lord has led him to, a, to find rest in a broad place. And that's exactly what the Lord does. If we're faithful to him, he'll guide us and he'll eventually lead us to find rest in a broad place. This is how the psalmist says it. He brought me forth also into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. You see, the psalmist, like Isaac, recognized the Lord was the one who brought him out of these restraints, brought him out of these attacks, brought him out of these difficulties, brought him out of these little caves that seek to shut us in and imprison us. The Lord brings us to a broad place 
where we can experience his freedom and plenty and comfort. Because the Lord delights in his people. The Lord cares about you. You go through times of jealousy and strife and slander and you keep on trying to do the right thing, do the right thing, do the right thing. And guess what? Eventually the Lord's going to lead you to a broad place so you can find rest. And that's exactly what happens here. The psalmist says it like this. And you, O Lord, have not, have not given me over to the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet on a, in a large place. From my distress I called upon the Lord and he answered me and set me in a large place. The Lord is for me. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Amen? Amen. So now with this new sense of renewal and this new sense of revival, we see that the text tells us that, that Isaac goes up from there to Bathsheba. Now remember Bathsheba. Bathsheba was the place where Abraham finally settled down and lived the last 75 years of his life. Remember that Abraham chose Beersheba because it reminded him of the covenant promises of God that pointed to Jesus Christ, that great sermon that was preached just a couple of weeks ago. Remember, Beersheba was the place where Abraham planted the tamarisk tree. Beersheba is where Isaac grew up. So he's back in his home territory. Beersheba is where Isaac would sit as a little boy under that tamarisk tree being spiritually refreshed as his father would tell him about the covenant promises of God. And the text tells us as soon as Isaac got to Beersheba, you know what he did? He, no, don't say it. (laughs) The Lord appeared to him that same night. And said, I am the Lord, I am the God of your father, Abraham, do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for the sake of my servant Isaac. So once again, we see that Isaac is reminded of the covenant promises of God. But this time, it's not his earthly father telling him and reminding him of the covenant promises of God. It was his heavenly father that met him there and reminded him of the covenant promises of God. So he built an altar, this text tells us, and he called upon the name of the Lord, and he pitched his tent there. And you know what else Isaac did? Dug a well. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. Isaac rises up from worship, being reminded of the covenant promises of God, sends his servants out to dig a well, And guess who shows up? Abimelech with his advisor and his commander of his army. And Isaac said to him, why do you come to me since you hate me and sent me away? And they said, we see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, let there now be an oath between us, even between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you. And Abimelech, we see, was obviously impressed by Isaac's persistence. And he he was obviously impressed in how Isaac, how the Lord had blessed Isaac on every step of this journey. And the king is now, he's eager to, to establish peace and to seal a truce. 
And we see that Isaac responds positively to his proposal by making a feast for them. And they eat and they drink together. And then the text says, and in the morning they arose early and exchanged vows. Then Isaac sent them away and they departed from him in peace. What a testimony this chapter is to us. It's just like the book of Proverbs tells us. When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, the Lord makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Amen? Amen. And it came about on that same day as Abimelech and his advisor and his commander of his army are riding away on their camels. That same day, Isaac's servants come in and told him about the well that they had dug and said to him, we found water. And so he called it Shabab. Today, again, the name is the city of Beersheba to this day. Brothers and sisters, Isaac trusted the Lord through attacks of jealousy, strife, and slander. The Lord brought him to a broad place renewed his covenant promises to him, and established peace, praise be to God. And so Isaac calls this well Shabab because that means an oath or a covenant or a promise because Isaac knows once again that God is faithful to his promises to his people. Amen? Amen. The Lord promised Isaac that he would give his descendants all these lands and By him or through his descendants, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And now, Isaac is holding this covenant agreement with Abimelech. And he's reassured that the promises of God are always yes and amen. Every time that Isaac would drink from that well, he was reminded of God's promise that his descendants would dwell in that land, and in generations to come, all the nations of the earth would be blessed through his descendants. And of course, we know now, because we have the entirety of God's word, that God's promise was fulfilled through Jesus Christ, a direct descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It was through the life and the death and the resurrection of Christ that repentance for forgiveness of sins has been proclaimed in all the nations. All the nations have been blessed because of Jesus Christ. This is a well of promise that God will do what he says. We must trust him. Even if we're going through a period of difficulty, we must trust him that he will eventually lead us to a broad place, renew his covenant promises to us, and we will be refreshed and renewed in Christ. Maybe now you can see why I named, entitled this sermon The Well of Persistence. It's, it's clear that the Lord gave Isaac a persistent spirit that enabled him to pursue God's promises, even in the face of opposition. But the fact is, the Bible doesn't use the word persistence, but rather the Bible uses words like being steadfast. The Bible uses word by using words like endurance or to endure. Passages like 
Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. God could have given that, wrote that verse for Isaac. Because it mirrors exactly what we see in Genesis chapter 26. But he wrote it to us. His beloved brethren. Because he wants you to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing as you do it, your toil is not in vain. Amen? Amen. The Apostle Paul uses this word steadfastness like it's a gift of the Spirit. When he prayed for the Christians that they would obtain all steadfastness. And God wants to send his spirit into our hearts so that we would obtain all steadfastness. The apostle wrote to the Corinthians, But we have this treasure in earthly vessels, so that the passing greatness of power will be of God and not of ourselves. For we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Amen? Amen. We see that Isaac is foreshadowing Jesus Christ. The one who endured hostility by sinners against himself. And the writer of Hebrews tells us that Christ endured hostility by sinners against himself so that, the purpose clause, you will not grow weary or lose heart. Christ endured hostility so that you would not grow weary. Christ endured hostility so that you would not lose heart. Jesus endured jealousy and strife and slander against himself. Why? To bring us to a broad place so that we would be refreshed by the promises of God in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus endured hostility by sinners against himself so that you and I would not grow weary and we would not lose heart. We would drink from the well of persistence all the days of our life. The Lord does not want you to lose heart. I don't know exactly what you're going through, but I'm just telling you here. The Lord does not want you to lose heart. The Lord does not want you to grow weary. The Lord wants you to shake the dust off your feet and go dig another well. Shake the dust off your feet and go dig another well. Did you notice that every time in Genesis chapter 26, Isaac's, service, Isaac's servants dug a well that they found water? <laughs> every time. I love verse 19, and it says, But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of flowing water. Actually, the original word is not flowing. It's living. They found the well of living water. And that's what the Lord wants for you. Jesus said it like this, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and, and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture says, Jesus says, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. 
And I think that's what Isaac experienced. And that's what he wants you to experience. This living water of Christ. That he will be with us in the journey. He'll bring us to a broad place. He'll renew his covenant promises to us. So that we can rest in Christ. And drink from his well. The Lord wants us to be refreshed by his presence, his power, and his grace. And as I conclude this morning, I want to read a portion from the prophet Isaiah. And I want you to drink up. And the Lord will continually guide you and satisfy your desires in scorched places. And give you strength to your bones. And you will be like a watered garden. And like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord God, we come to you today thanking that you are with us for the journey. And Lord, as we face oppositions and situations in our life, Lord, you want to give us the spirit of steadfastness, of endurance. Christ, we recognize that you experienced hostility by the hands of sinners so that we would not grow weary or lose heart. And we ask, Lord, that you would, by your spirit, work that in us today. Lord, we thank you that as we seek you, you will lead us to a broad place. Lord, thank you for always reminding us of your covenant promises that were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And thank you that through Christ we can come and drink up. Thank you that we are like a water garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.